preaching this Advent about longing. What are you longing for? What do people long for? I don't mean what you want, because that can change day to day. But what do you in your gut really drive for in your life? That you, that you want deep down and you wait on and you strive for and it, and it impacts your decisions and how you act in the world. I, I think sometimes we're unaware sometimes of deep down what we're really longing for. And so I'm trying to unpack that a little bit as Advent goes on. Last week I talked about peace and shalom. This week I want to talk about comfort. Isaiah says in chapter 40, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received the Lord's hand from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. And uneven ground shall become level. And rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. From the mouth of the Lord, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I say, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like a flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Comfort. We don't really use that word anymore, I don't think. I don't hear it a lot, uh, the word comfort. I hear the word comfortable, right? That's a word we use a lot. But comfort, I'm not sure about. But they're not the same thing. If I use the word comfortable, it means able to find comfort. So what is comfort. Have you ever been very comfortable? Have you ever been in a place where you're, you sit down in a, in a lazy boy, you put your legs up, or you get in it's a hot tub for me, you get in a hot tub, or you set up a chair at the beach, and you're just comfortable. And then you go, you know what I'm talking about? Comfortable is the ability to, to have comfort, but comfort is that deep breath. Comfort is that to relax, to be okay with where you are and just be in the moment. The Hebrew word for comfort is nacham, means comfort, but it can also mean sorrow or repentance. Compassion to rest to settle down, quietness. It's actually the basis for the, for the name Noah, actually, uh, in the Hebrew. In the Greek, it's the word periklesis. It can mean comfort, encouragement, entreaty. It can also mean to call for, to summon. A lot of times the word periklesis means to come alongside or to call for someone to be beside you. It has this sense of, I can take a deep breath and relax because I'm not alone. I've got somebody 
with me. It's similar to the word shalom, which I unpacked a lot last week as peace. But shalom relates a lot to finding your place in the world. Finding peace in the world and finding peace in your place in the world. But, but comfort, comfort is just inside of you being able to rest and be okay. Not in the middle, but in the middle of the problems. In the middle of the challenges to take a deep breath. But it's hard to find comfort, isn't it? It's hard to catch that breath. I remember last year I got shingles. And so I had this rash around my ribs on this side. And shingles, what really hurts with shingles, if, if you've had shingles, it messes with your nerves. In fact, I still have sort of dead spots around there where I can't quite feel. And it, so there's just like a constant pain. And I had these big lidocaine patches that went over to just try to numb it. I could get comfortable. You know, I could be in a comfortable chair or lay down. But, but most people say, ah, oh, when I'm in pain, I can't get comfortable. You're getting comfortable, but you never are finding comfort. Comfort eludes us. Jesus promises comfort to those who mourn. Why does he do that? Because when we mourn, if you've ever had a loss, it's hard to take that deep breath, isn't it? It feels like for weeks and weeks and months, you can't... Just go, you can't find that breath because you've lost someone. The question is, why does Israel need comfort? Why does Isaiah have to promise comfort on behalf of God? Comfort, comfort ye my people. Well, this is the second part of Isaiah. We think that Isaiah, Isaiah has three very distinct sort of turns in tone and voice. Some people even say Isaiah is written by three different people. Others say it's just Isaiah written, the same author writing it three different times. I don't know. But this is in the second part of Isaiah. And it's the period believed to have been written while the people of Israel are in exile. And it is one of the, the only sections of scripture that really offers a lot of comfort. I mean, only a section of the prophets. Most of the prophets are really trying to explain why Israel's in the situation they're in. Now, I know I talk about the exile a lot, and there's a reason for that. I think it's really, really important to understand the scriptures. In fact, if you don't understand the exile, I don't think you can really understand the Bible. I don't really think you can even understand Jesus' life and ministry if you don't really understand this, because it tints so much of what the scriptures are talking about. So imagine you're Israel. Israel is in their land, right? And we all know that story. Moses brings them out of Egypt to the promised land, the promised land given to Abraham. And finally, they start to get some peace. They, they kick most, not all. They were supposed to kick everybody out of the land. They don't kick everybody out of the land. But they have a certain amount of peace. David is king. And things are going well. But it doesn't stay that way. And right around 930 BC, the, the nation of Israel is split into two nations. It gets a little confusing in the scripture because the northern part of Israel is called Israel. They, they call their little separate nation Israel. And the bottom is Judah. Okay, So sometimes in the scripture you'll just hear Israel talked about as Israel. But sometimes they're referring to Israel as the northern part in Judah as the southern part, because there are two nations in about 930 B.C. Now, Israel in the north starts getting threatened very early by 
by other nations that are to the north of them. In particular, the Assyrians, which in 750 BC come down and take Israel away. Okay, they take over Israel. They leave some people there and sort of uh, force them to marry into the people in what is known later as the Samaritans. Those are the people that are left behind and forced to remarry. But most of them are taken off into exile. They're, what they would do is take the people off of their land, spread them out in the kingdom, and by three generations, the people would be no more, right? Because you wouldn't have very many people to speak your original language to. You wouldn't speak the culture. You would name your children based on the names of that place. And so their people would be decimated. There'd be no more. You would just have an Assyrian empire. It's happened very often. 750 BC, this happens to Israel. Judah, which included Jerusalem, happened later. In 586, Nebuchadnezzar comes from the nation of Babylon. So what's happening in the north is... The Assyrians are basically taken over by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians then come and take care of Judah. In fact, Solomon's temple, the center of the religious world of the Jews, is destroyed during that battle. So now there's nobody left. The only people left in the land are being forced to marry these other nations and living in, this, in, in Samaria. Okay, you're gone. Your people are gone. For generations, your people are nowhere. Okay? This is, this is like the Native... This is very much like the Native Americans, right? Their land is taken away. They're forced to relocate. They start to lose their culture. It's a problem. Eventually, the Persians take over the Babylonians, which took over the Assyrians, and the Persians allow Israel to start coming back between 538 and 456. They come home. They're led by two people, Ezra and Nehemiah, to help rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. But still, you've got generations of Jews now that have never been in Israel. They've never been there. They have Babylonian names. They, they don't belong there. They've got to recreate their culture. They've, some of them got to relearn the language. Eventually, the Romans come on the scene and take over the Persians. And so for years and years and years, even though Israel's back in the land, they're still sort of under control of the Persians and then the Romans. They haven't been free. They haven't been free in 750 years when Jesus comes on the scene. Do you understand the crisis that this is? If you're supposed to be the chosen people, and that's supposed to be the promised land, and you sing about it, and you tell stories about it, how can that be when you have been under the thumb of somebody else for 750 years? The only thing that's kept them together has been to cling to their religion. But, but their religion so often at that time is very uh, just routine. Just keep things going. There's no heart in it. Israel needs comfort. And when Isaiah writes these words, they're in the middle of exile. They have not come home yet. How bold to say, comfort, comfort ye my people. Are we really your people, God? If we're your people, then where are you? I think we need comfort for some of the same reasons. When's the last time you took a deep breath 
and relaxed and were okay even in the middle of some of the pain in your life. You almost got to go on vacation to find it, right? You almost got to go to the beach. Even at the beach, did anybody find this? You go to the beach, you go on vacation or whatever. It takes you a couple days before you really relax there even. We have loss and grief and pain. Unfulfilled dreams, lost expectations. And deep down we ask, God, where were you? God, have you really cared about us? Where were you in the middle of that? Where were you when I lost so-and-so? Where were you when I felt all this pain? Where, where were you in the middle of my anguish? Often it can be a crisis of faith. Or we go through the routine of religion and we come to church here and we do our thing, but our heart's not really in it. Because how can we give our heart to a God we're not sure we can trust? Christmas time is a time when this is even worse, right? An empty seat at the Christmas table. We go to hang up an ornament or give a gift and we think of someone who's not there who would have loved that or whose job it was to put that star on the tree. We remember. Christmas is great because we have all these memories, right? But some of them are bad memories and some of them, even the good ones, point to the loss that we have in our lives. Christmas is also a time when we often try to find comfort in the wrong place. There's a reason there's an alcoholic beverage called Southern Comfort. There's a reason why a lot of what we're going to eat in the next few weeks is called comfort food. Because we try to find comfort. But in the Bible, God grants comfort. God is a God who cares despite the evidence to the contrary. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 calls God the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. The psalmist said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Isaiah says to those people in exile, comfort, comfort ye my people. Did you catch the power of that? Not only offering comfort, but you're still my people. You are still my people. And if you read that verse and it continues, there's a promise. A promise of a voice that will come crying in the wilderness. And we know that voice. That's the voice of John the Baptist. That Isaiah is promising hundreds of years before that somebody's going to come and cry in the wilderness. And the one that follows after them, the one that they announce, will ultimately bring comfort. There's something to come. Comfort comes not only when you just can breathe and relax, but you can breathe and relax. Remember the word comfort is also sometimes translated repentance. You find comfort when things are made right, when you are forgiven and you get your sins off your chest. In fact, the New Testament goes on to have to use the word paraclesis to describe the Holy Spirit. Okay? Sometimes it's translated as helper. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is tra- translated as advocate. But really, I think the Holy Spirit is the comforter. That the Holy Spirit comes with us. We also see in Scripture that comfort is something that's given and received between people, right? Remember Ruth and Naomi? Naomi and her loss, and Ruth comes to her and brings her comfort. David and Bathsheba at the loss of their son. 
David goes and comforts Bathsheba. Remember Jesus going to the death of his, to the funeral of his friend Lazarus and offering comfort and even bringing him back. Now the Bible is not always given well. Sometimes you have Job's friends who don't give proper comfort. Sometimes people are slow to receive comfort. They don't really want it. They fight it. There's a great missionary named Dr. Paul Brand. I encourage you to look up this guy. Really fascinating. He's called the leprosy doctor. And he spent years, he was a doctor and a researcher, but did missionary work in India, primarily with lepers. Uh, wrote a great book with a guy named Philip Niancy called Pain, the Gift that Nobody Wants. He was one of the first people to really discover that when people have leprosy, did you know leprosy is still a thing? In places like India, there's a lot of people that have it. And most people have thought for thousands of years that leprosy rotted your skin. But he's, he's the first person to say, no, that's not really what happens. In leprosy, you lose your feeling. You can't feel your skin anymore. So what happens is if you're, you're a leper, you're, you're not as aware of your body and you tend to bump into stuff. You bump into stuff and you get cut and you're not aware of it. And so it gets worse and worse and worse. He tells the story of a man named Saddam who he had worked with in India who was a leper and who was trying to learn how to live as a leper. And so as, what he would train the lepers to do is to, to constantly be checking because they can't feel to have a mirror with them and to say, okay, I have all my fingers. There's my toes. My skin's okay. Look at my nose. Look at my ears. Because you brush something against your nose or your ear and it cuts. They wouldn't know and they'd be starting to bleed and really cause damage. So he, he decides, I'm going to try to do a test run. Saddam decides to do a tr- test run to visit home for a couple of days and see how it goes. Let me read the story. On Saturday night, after an exuberant reunion dinner with his family... Saddam went, to his, uh, Saddam went to his old room, lay down on the pallet, and drifted off into a contented sleep. Imagine his horror upon waking up when, while checking himself, as he had been trained to do, Saddam found that his left index finger was mangled. A rat had visited him in the middle of the night and not on his finger. He hadn't been able to feel it and discovered it in the morning. The next evening, he was afraid to sleep for fear this would happen again. So all evening, he sat cross-legged on his pallet, back against the wall, studying an accounting book by the light of a kerosene lantern. In the wee hours of the morning, his eyes became so heavy he could no longer keep them open. The book fell onto his knees, and his right hand slid over against the glass of the lantern. When Sedan awoke the next morning, he instantly saw a large patch of black skin that had burned off the back of his hand. And so he had to return to Dr. Brand, his two hands wrapped in bandages. Dr. Brand recalls it this way. When he met me, I began unrolling the bandages, and he wept. I must confess that I wept with him. As he poured out his misery to me, he said, I feel as if I've lost all my freedom. And then a question that has stayed with me. How can I be free without pain? Isn't that a fascinating phrase? Dr. Brand wrote, Pain severs a vital role, uh, serves a vital role in protecting and uniting the corporate membership 
as it does guarding the cells of my own body. Deep emotional connections link human beings, certainly as dendrites link cells in our bodies. The body poorly protects what it doesn't feel. It's kind of a weird way to say it, but what he's saying is, and he wrote a lot about this, pain is important. Pain is important to your life because pain lets you know that something's wrong and pain lets you know you need to do something. Pain helps us connect. Comfort is not ignoring pain. Comfort is learning to have freedom within the pain. Learning to be okay where you are. Israel is in pain. But in the middle of the pain, they sense even more that they need Jesus. Although they struggle with Jesus, don't they? They want a Jesus that will take away their pain. Lord, are you now going to bring in your kingdom? They still want Jesus to throw off the Roman rule. But, but God doesn't do that. God doesn't take away our pain. God uses our pain. And in a strange way that doesn't always make sense to us, gives us freedom. Jesus dies in agony to give us freedom. And we learn to receive and give comfort as we follow him. Pain also opens us up to one another. When I feel pain, I'm also open, I also open myself to the comfort of another person. And I also, in my pain, can somehow in some way have empathy and feel your pain. Pain deepens our relationship. My prayer for you this Christmas is that you will find the freedom of finding comfort in the middle of your pain. That you would trust God and that you would live this holiday by the words of Philippians chapter 4. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for pain. How even though you don't take it away, you often use it. We, we thank you that at the holidays, in the midst of our pain, we can also feel comfort and we can also feel joy. As we remember those we've lost, as we remember dreams we have abandoned, anger that we held, I pray that we wouldn't avoid those things, but we would lean into them and find you. In Jesus' name. Amen.